right, guys, welcome back to the pod. Our dear friend, Molly Henry, how are you doing? I'm doing great. How are you? I'm good. Uh, so I'm ecstatic you've decided to join us uh, for this 31-day horror movie marathon that I was insane enough to think up. Uh, you actually came up with one of my favorite picks of the month. Would you like to introduce the movie that we will be discussing tonight? Yes, of course. We are going to be discussing the 1974 classic Phantom of the Paradise. Fuck yeah. This this movie, I I was rewatching it getting ready for this. And it's it's one of those movies I, I think about sometimes. And it's just such an anomaly because you know how it is. You're a creative type. You do stuff. And anything that gets done is a somewhat of a small miracle. And this movie, I just I constantly just keep coming back to how the fuck did this movie get made? <laughs> you know? It's it's so fucking bizarre. <laughs> it's just. And it's I feel like it's the weirdest thing Brian De Palma has done. Oh, by like, far. I know. Well, that's we one of the strangest things. Like, how the fuck is this a Brian De Palma movie? Yeah, because <laughs> most of his stuff is like, with the exception of Carrie, it's very like grounded and actiony or bloody or like manly man kind of movie. Right. And this is everything but that. This was Brian De Palma letting out his inner beef. Yeah. There <laughs> <go>. <laughs> yeah, it's because this is the thing. Think about this movie too, because this is introducing Jessica Harper, who had no cred yet in the horror community. So essentially, the biggest star in this movie was this singer, songer, songwriting composer Paul Williams. Right? That's essentially your box office draw for this film. Uh, William Finley was like De Palma's college friend that used to do short films with him and Robert De Niro, and it's just, it's. I know back then it was different, but still, the, yeah. I think it's always a marvel when these movies pop up. And it's funny because I was telling you when I was telling people we were going to cover this, a lot of my friends are under the delusion that this is a Rocky Horror Picture Show knockoff. Ugh. Idiots. No. <laughs> <laughs> you fucking rubes. <laughs> <laughs> no, and it's, I mean, honestly, the only thing they have in common is that they're weird as shit fucking musicals. Yeah, that they have music. But- they're, they're so different. I mean, honestly, this is, it's a weird version of Phantom of the Opera. Yeah. Like, so I, I don't know how you can say it's a, it's a Rocky Horror ripoff. <laughs> it doesn't make sense. Yeah. So, okay. So let's start this off legit. Why don't you give me your opening speech, right? Yeah. Let's get, let's get composed. Let's be professional here. <laughs> so if you were telling me that, but I'll try. Yeah. I also have not figured it out in 200 plus episodes. I'm still working on it. I'm developing my craft. So if you were to tell someone who had never seen this movie, right? Like, let's say, let's go back in the Wayback Machine and you're in a Blockbuster video. Okay. And someone picks up the box and you're like, you need to rent that. Why, Molly? Why? What would you tell that person? Okay. Um, I'm trying to remember how I described it to my husband because I had to really <laughs> sell him on this because he did not want to fucking watch it. Cause he's one of those guys that's always like, I hate musicals, but then every fucking musical I show him, he loves. Yeah. There's a lot of us out there. I would say I yeah. fall into that camp too. <laughs> so I would say it's, um, it's a phantom of phantom of the opera redo musical for glam rock fans. <laughs> I feel like it's a good way to put it. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Like there, there are some serious songs, but it's definitely like it has like everything about it, like just screams glam rock from the costumes to the sets, like even the helmet that the Phantom wears. It all feels very like 70s 
the theatrical like 80s kind of glam rock thing i mean even though this is 70s film but it has that feel to it you could tell what um, was coming they were a little ahead of the curve on that yeah and i feel like honestly it's a good musical for people who don't like musicals yeah. because of that like it has a, a very different vibe than most musicals <laughs> yeah i mean i think that's the understatement of the century right <laughs> like, yeah. uh <laughs> What I love about this movie, too, especially for anyone in a creative field, I feel like how could you not like this movie? It's mm -hmm. it's kind of it's Faust by way of the modern artistic struggle. Right. The Just this like I was just struck by like watching Winslow Leach. Right. There's this giant billboard for this fucking overly insanely produced band. And he's just out there trying to put glue on it to like put his little and, you know, Leach on the piano. Right. And that scene yeah. just was like soul crushing. And you're like, you you bond to that guy so fucking fast, right? Because you're in this world of overproduced stuff that we all secretly like, right? Like, we all secretly like that stuff. That's why it exists. But you see this one guy who just doesn't look the part. But you can tell he's got this overriding passion. This, like, the passion that we all wish we really had, right? Because I think there are very few of us that are that actually committed to what we do as Winslow mm -hmm. Leach. And you just watch this guy just get fucking crushed and crushed and crushed and literally crushed by the art that he fucking hates. <laughs> right. And then to watch him try to come to grips with it. And the fact that no one comes out clean, it's just this unbelievable fucking journey that is also presenting us what the movie's saying it hates. Right. It's, it's such a weird bag of just contradictions. I feel like in a, like for any creative too, it's a lot of what they talk have in this film is our fucking worst nightmare. Yeah. Like doing all this work and not getting recognized for it is obviously a big one, but then also having your work stolen. Mm -hmm. Like I, I feel like I'm super paranoid, especially like with the little bit of fiction work that I've done. I I'm so fucking paranoid about showing it to people because I'm like, what if someone steals it? Yeah. <laughs> and I feel like that's something that most people have. And especially like I have so many friends who um, like who are artists, like physical artists who do like photography or painting or whatever, who've had their shit stolen and then mm -hmm. sold on Amazon for like 10 bucks. Yeah. And it's just it's something that happens so often that it's normal that we all have this fear and they, they just really they amp up all of our worst fears in this film. <laughs> right. And the way they do it is brilliant though. Right. Because like not to jump all the way to beef, which is really like the best thing in the movie. Right. But again, <laughs> imagine, so they spend all this time showing us beef as this braggadocious, horrible performer. He's played as a clown at the start, but imagine being the phantom who's given up his health and his voice. And he's had his music soul and he lives in this fucking beautiful music bubble now just taking drugs to get his cantata written, his 300-page cantata. Mm -hmm. And then when he's up there about to kill Beef, there has to be a part of him that's like, this is fucking awesome. Like, <laughs> when Beef performs, it's fucking awesome. All you can think as a person watching the movies, you're like, that's what I always hope a concert is like. Yeah. And to watch, that's like the thing that the Phantom struggles with the whole movie, right? Winslow, is you, when they actually perform... The fucking other people are doing it better than he did it. We saw him perform at the start of the movie. And it was like, you could tell like the songwriting's good and this and that. Look at this guy's passion. But yeah, the other character, Beef and Phoenix do it better. So he's sitting there watching in rage, watching his art make its way to a mass audience who loves it. 
but he's mad because he's not a part of it anymore, right? He He's mm-hmm. also behind the mask, as it were, just from being in the rafters. So it's a, again, it's it's always this contradictory state, which I think works so well with the uh, deal with the devil theme of the movie. Yeah, and it's funny too because like he clearly has a very specific vision for it, and I feel like that's something that a lot of creatives have issues with, whether it be in music or film or whatever. Where we have we have an idea of how we want it to look or sound or whatever, and then when producers or the people who are going to put it together get their hands on it they take it in different direction you're like what the fuck are you doing this is not what i had in (laughs) mind but it's i mean but that's not necessarily a bad thing sometimes it it is a bad thing but a lot of times like these people know what they're doing and they've been working in the industry for so long they know how to make something more marketable and make it so it'll work for a larger audience um so you kind of have to weigh the pros and cons of that, yeah. um, which is why I think that he he tries so hard. Like, if I can't do it, I at least want Phoenix to be the one to do it. Right. Um, which, oh, my God, she like Jessica Harper in this. Introducing is, Jessica Harper. I forgot about that. Yeah. Like, yeah it's she's amazing in this. Yeah. And it's funny because that was another selling point that I did when I got when I was trying to get my husband <laughs> to watch. It's like it has the lady from Suspiria in it. <laughs> But she sings instead of dances now. Right. <laughs> um, and her voice, it's like, it's a weird voice, but it's so good. Yeah, well, it's so good at a time where I was like, is that her singing? Like, I, I was like, yeah. what? She's like really good in this. It's it's the hard thing, too, because this is the other thing about the movie is watching Jessica Harper turn. Right. Everyone yeah. near this thing turns and is corrupted. Mm-hmm. Right. So it's this. Because that's the hardest part, right? Like, I was thinking in the context of, like, what are some big things that got changed? into Like, Game of Thrones, right? That was a big one I thought of. So, Game of Thrones came out, and it's all anyone I know talked about for, like, five years. Mm -hmm. Everything was Game of Thrones. Everything was a theory. I know what's going to happen, blah, blah, blah. And then something crazy. I was like, oh, we didn't see that coming. And then the last two seasons, they got past the author, and everyone fucking hated it. To the point now where I never hear anyone mention Game of Thrones. It's like Lord Voldemort or J.K. Rowling herself now. Like, we don't mention their name anymore, right? Like, they're yeah. out of the fucking world. That went from being the the most culturally consuming thing that existed to no one fucking talks about it at all. Mm-hmm. And so it is, it's this hard, you watch Winslow Leach is just this fucking sad guy, right? Trying to get his name out there. And when it does, he cannot enjoy it at all. And yep. it's it's really brutal because like I'm old enough to I grew up in like the boy band wars of the 90s. Yeah. <laughs> right. Where it's like I want a girlfriend, but I don't want to listen to like 98 degrees or Backstreet Boys or NSYNC. And all we would do is be like, those guys suck. And you're like, well, they don't suck. Look at the effect they have on humanity. Mm-hmm. Like nothing that sucks is that popular. Right. That's my theory, yeah. at least. I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong. Like you. It might not be your thing, yeah. but it doesn't mean it sucks. Yeah, I'm like, there's like millions and millions of people like they would cause riots when they showed up at places. And in my mind, I'm like, I thought that was reserved for the Beatles. Right. And you're like, <laughs> It's not. And so it's it's almost a scary movie in that sense. Right. Like, imagine if your wildest dreams came true. Right. Whether you're a writer, an actor, whatever. Imagine all your wildest dreams came true and you get to be in the paradise and people are jamming out to your music. Right. Causing riots because of something you made. 
And you're just in the back, this hideous, twisted man. Like, that's not how you're supposed to like it that much. Yeah. It's horrifying. And this is totally unrelated random fact <laughs> that um, probably a lot of people are going to judge me for. <laughs> With the exception of an episode of Goosebumps. Okay. This is the only iteration of Phantom of the Opera that I have ever seen. Really? Yeah, I know. I know. <laughs> I See, I think that's weird that people get like up in arms about that shit. I know. I'm like, do I you mean, really I, think everyone's seen the Lon Chaney saw... Phantom of the Opera? <laughs> yeah. Like, <laughs> like not I just the opening clip in Muppet watching... Babies, like have actually watched that whole movie. <laughs> I've seen Muppet Babies. Yeah, that was in the opening of Muppet Babies. Because I remember as a younger guy being like, that's fucking cool. I got to find that. And then you watch it and you're like, it's not as good as Muppet Babies. <laughs> I mean, and it's I like I I grew up involved with musical theater and stuff. I don't know why it's this is a blind spot that I have. Um, I mean, like I said, with the exception of that episode of Goosebumps, mm -hmm. which was a really good fucking episode. The Phantom of the Opera, yeah, yeah. Um, but it's just I I don't know. It's I think. I mean, I know, like, with the classic Lon Chaney, I only just, with the exception of a couple, I only just recently started watching through the Universal Monster movies, mm. like, in the past year. Um, with the exception of, like, Creature and the Mummy I grew up watching. Uh, so, I mean, people people definitely go crazy. Like, when I tweeted that I was watching Frank Bride of Frankenstein for the first time a couple weeks ago, people were like, what? <laughs> and it's like... You know, it's there's so much fucking content out so there. Much. It's impossible to get all of it. Yeah. Like, I'm so glad I saw Fan of the Paradise. I'm so glad that um, I was introduced to it. And then I can't. Someone bought it for me because I had put it on my um, my Amazon wish list. And I don't I, I'd have to double check. I don't think they left a name. So I still have no idea who bought it for me to this day. Swan. <laughs> But it's like, I'm so glad I own it. I fucking love it. I want to get the helmet at some point. I actually, on my wall back there, I have a little art print that has um, Winslow and Leech and um, whatever the fuck the bad guy's name Swan. was. Swan. Yeah, Swan. It has it has Winslow and Beef and Swan on it. Oh, that's awesome. So I like, I'm totally into it now. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's. To me, it's and the I best Phantom of the off. Opera by a lot. Like, I don't know if there's like a bunch of Gerard Butler stands out there that are going to be mad about it. But it's it takes the Phantom of the Opera and it just gives them the, this really helpful modern shine. Right. The thing about this movie that is really fascinating to me is it harkens back to a time that feels ancient, but isn't that old of where the media and stuff like that used to be very monolithic. Right. This this is kind of playing at the gatekeeper element. Right. Of media. Which we don't have anymore. If you if you have the stuff, right, and you're powerful enough a personality, you can go out and make your way on the internet. Like I make my living doing internet media, right? Like it's it's out there now. Not like it was, right? Like I'm not like living in a mansion. I live in Indiana, right? But like you know, you can pay for a life doing internet media. And this gets back to I love the idea of the paradise in general, right? That here's this thing. And so the opening scene is also funny because it's just this weird, like, greaser boy band, right? 
yeah. they're like giving drugs to the instrument players. They're like, you know, grabbing a lady's bra out of the front row or whatever. Yeah. As they're performing this somber number about an artist who killed himself because he loved his music so much and his family. And the thing that like struck me about that scene, it's gobsmacking, right? Is when they finish and they get down and they do their pose, right? And everyone in the audience turns around and they look up at this mirrored surface, right? So all they see is a reflection of themselves. And they wait until the white gloved hands start mm -hmm. clapping. And then everyone in the audience is like, oh, we have permission to clap, <laughs> right? Because that was Swan saying, this is good, right? They couldn't yeah. decide on their own if it was good or not. And that theme throughout the movie is, is still shockingly prevalent to me, despite the fact mm -hmm. that media has become so fractured. Yeah, for sure. And it's, I think like that scene when Swan is trying to find what singer and style he wants to do the song Fuck. and he goes through all the different ones and all totally different styles and stuff. Um, I feel like that plays into it as well because he's, he's deciding what the next big thing is going to be. Yeah. And even though like beef is a great performer, but realistically beef doesn't have the best voice. <laughs> No, 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 no. Like so, it's, so picking him is like definitely a power move. Yeah, because be like, I, I actually can think of some '90s bands that would work for this too. But like, a you're not really that great of a singer, but you got style, so we're gonna have you do your thing. Yeah. Um, I also love that they have the same three actors as the band. Yeah. Like for the three different bands, they're the Juicy Fruits, then the Beach Bums, then the Undead yeah. with Beef. Um, which I think is so funny because like when they're the beach bums, don't, doesn't he kill them? <laughs> yeah. I thought he killed the one guy who was like, I read the horoscopes every day. Right. Then he got blown yeah. up. But just imagine that though. That's what the movie's telling us. Imagine if Nirvana, right. Hadn't had their tragic ending and they just became backups for like Alanis Morissette. And then all of a sudden you're like, we're just pretending they're not Nirvana anymore because they're just yeah. in this new thing. That's supposed to be the coolest thing ever. And I, I love that. I, I love that segment in the movie, but it's so strange, right? Because they have several audition scenes, which are all equally horrifying, right? There's that great scene when Winslow opens the door into Swanage, right? And he's casting mm -hmm. that long shadow. And all we hear are all these different women and all these different styles, right? Singing his words, right? This really personal song he was singing. And you just watch him going up the stairs and it takes him a flight of stairs or so before it sets in like, oh, fuck, this is my shit. And just watching all of these women. And then that scene becomes extra horrifying, right? When yeah. it runs in and it's just the the big greaser guys, like, you know, jumping on a couch, right? Mm -hmm. And we start doing that. Oh, I've been here 12 times. I haven't even sang. I'm just on this circular bed. And it really does play into that. Just this fucking guy from the darkened balcony, right? I love that that thing they do in the movie over and over again. That trope really mm -hmm. works. Where Swan just sits in the dark. Because he becomes this really fun analog for Winslow, right? Winslow is this guy that is this creative fount, right? And he's creating and creating and creating. And he's not having any joy. Swan, on the other hand, is just a guy who's pointing at people. Mm -hmm. And stealing material and putting his name on it. And it becomes wildly popular. But he's also not really a part of the action. Yeah. Right? So it's like, why is he enjoying this so much? Is it just the control and the power versus Winslow's? Like, I just want it done well. Yeah, but not it's really, interesting right? because like Winslow, it's they really are polar opposites. Like not only in that like Winslow represents like the art form and the integrity and stuff, and Swan is just like 
cash grab power and mm-hmm. stuff. But Winslow is trying so fucking hard just to be seen and recognized. Yeah. And Swan is trying so hard not to be seen. I mean, part of that is because of the, the Faustian deal Mm. going on and stuff. Like he can't be seen like on, like on camera and stuff. Um, but he, like he wants to be behind the scenes, but he also needs to have complete and total control of everything. Yeah. It's so, so, it's so weird too. Cause that opening moment, right. They talk about the paradise. And like, this is a, the story of the man who created it, the woman who performed it and the man who destroyed it. Mm-hmm. And you start wondering who's who, right? Yeah. Like who is the man that destroyed it? Like, I think that is Winslow, right? Cause we're told. I, th- I think he's the creator and the destroyer. Yeah. It's strange. Right. Cause at the start, there's that awesome scene when he's just performing and everyone leaves the juicy fruits concert. And mm-hmm. Winslow's like, listen, this guy, the 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 greaseball guy, I forget the actor's name. He's very fantastic in this movie, right? Uh, Philbin. And he's sitting there and he's like, this fucking, this bitch, I made her everything. Now she's rich and she's on her own. And Swan has that really, he's like, what do you want? Well, to destroy her. And he's like, that's easy. Like, she's already dead, right? She's number one today, but she'll be nothing tomorrow. That's like a really passing over moment. It yeah. is equally horrifying, right? Especially in today when so many of us just by like the drug addiction to social media, we judge ourselves mm-hmm. by, did that get enough likes? Is this, oh man, where's my, or like, do I have enough followers? Blah, blah, blah. Well, then he stops and he, while Philbin's bitching, he's actually hearing Winslow mm-hmm. and he just does that. That's it. That's the music to open paradise. Right. Yeah. And he's like that guy. And he's like, no, not him. The music. And that becomes a really, that's another sad, right? So he talks about this artist who's so beloved being swept aside. And then here's this music that comes from a person, a person's personal journey and craft and all the time that Winslow must have spent in his life to get to this point. He's like, oh, we can just throw that fucker away. You know, so there's a lot of subtle, horrifying things that happen at the start of this movie that I feel like we just missed because of kind of the madcap zany style of it at times. Yeah. But it's a really insightful, scary movie a lot. Yeah, it's definitely shows. uh how do people like Swan, how disposable mm-hmm. individuals are. And it's more about, I don't want to say the art because I don't think he really sees it as art, no. <laughs> but it's, it's about the product. Yeah. It's not about the person. It's about the product that he can sell. Yeah. And I think what they get at by the end of the movie too, is as much as the person or product, it's capturing what they think is most important of them. Right. So Winslow, he has his cantata, and then with Jessica Harper's character, he's like, I just want your voice, right? It's kind of a little mm-hmm. mermaid theme, right? Like, yeah. give me your fucking voice. And that scene, the scene that is just devastating in that regard is, you know, she comes off. Beef has just been fucking murdered on stage. They're literally using fire extinguishers to put him out. And they're like, fucking sing or there'll be more dead bodies. She goes out and sings and is lovely and kills it. The way mm-hmm. that Winslow intended, right? And we just kind of brush over the fact that there's literally a dead body <laughs> to get there. But when she yeah. goes back to that room, when Swan comes in, this guy that she's despised and talked back to, and do I get to sing instead of be on the bed? He comes in and she's like, you can have my voice. Is that all you want? Yeah, I'll go to Swanage. And the yeah. line she says that was just a dagger to my soul was, just give me that crowd again. Because mm-hmm. I feel like so many of us that do things like this podcast or write or whatever, it's like you just want an audience, a huge audience. And I don't think most of us spend the extra time to be like, what does that entail? What happens if we get what we wish for? 
and watching yeah. her just cave. And then the next time we see her, she's just super drugged up, talking about how they're going to do this wedding ceremony. And she's on stage just not even performing anymore. And we mm-hmm. see her sign the contract. And you're like, they just took this girl who's, you know, we saw her on the stairs, her and Winslow doing a duet, two really passionate artists. I just know I can sing these better than anyone. Can you help me? And then that shit's just all out the window. Mm-hmm. It's just gone because yeah. she just wants that crowd, that fucking feeling, man. And she gives it well, all up for that. And you, I think you mentioned um, earlier about, like, the power of it and stuff and how it changes people. And it's definitely, like, she goes from being this person who is all about her integrity and her, like, and her craft and not just being famous but being an artist. But then the second she gets a taste of yeah. what the power that she gets from the, being on stage and stuff, that's all she cares about. Oh, yeah. She like she doesn't care about the craft of it anymore. Mm-hmm. She just wants to be beloved and to have people adore her and to be famous. Yeah. Like that's more important to her than actually being an artist. Yeah. And it's strange because it, how many of us probably secretly have that fantasy as well. Like we don't oh, have yeah. it. So it's easy to play this. You know, I'm an, an artist with integrity card. But it's yeah. like, what if someone showed up tomorrow? And it's like, you could have all that shit. Like, what do you want? What do you want? Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. Well, because we see her at the start, too. She's the girl who runs out kind of broken and crying. Like, yeah, you know, because she doesn't want to do yeah. what's being asked. She of doesn't her want to Philbin and his fucking giant blue boxers jumping all over. She's <laughs> like, I came here to fucking sing. Mm-hmm. And then we watch over Winslow's shoulder as he watches her just excitedly jump into bed with swan yeah and it's not one of those like that's not like a shaming thing it's like i think a lot of us would end up in that fucking bed man yeah and it's brutal and that's it oh my god see this is the thing because i that's another thing a lot of people i know like to have that debate is a thing a horror movie or not because i said we were covering this on like during horror movie month i was like fuck off like shut up (laughs) i was like whatever but Imagine this scene, right? So you have this girl, this young girl that you've given a chance and you're like, yeah, I'll I'll seduce you and take you to bed. And you're watching this guy in agony trying to kill himself on the roof, right? Because you've taken everything from him now. And when she's on him, like kissing on him or whatever, what does he do? He turns on a fucking closed circuit TV Mm -hmm. to watch Winslow scream in agony. That's how he's getting off. Not the fact that he has this brilliant girl in there, like the melding of their artistic talents made this explosive night at the paradise he wants mm-hmm. to watch that guy fucking suffer yeah and to me i was like if that's not a horror movie i don't know what the fuck is i mean there, like there's that there's the entire look of winslow when he becomes the phantom yeah. and the fact that it's derived from phantom of the opera yeah. which the old movie is a horror movie yeah. like, well you know this you're know you're a horror writer it's it's one of the most tired arguments is yeah, is is it a horror movie? And then like I watched it, it's not scary. Like Bly Manor's having a lot of that right now, and you're like, there are a lot of movies that aren't like I remember what was that movie, The Stepmom, right? Where the mom's dying of cancer and the dad falls in love with a woman and she's like, just be with her. But like they both exist alive at the same time. I remember watching that as like a 13 year old. I'm like, this movie's fucking horrifying. Like, are you kidding me? Like my mom's dying in a bed, but I got a bond with like the lady that's gonna replace her and. Like, that was, like, a lot of big information to take in as a kid. I'm like, this is, like, grown-up shit, and it's horrifying to me. I think it's one of those things, like, horror movies have a a specific kind of pattern they follow oftentimes. Mm-hmm. And there's sometimes things you might expect to see. But 
I think a lot of movies are horrifying, right? And this one to me yeah. is is truly a horrifying film. And I think with a lot of horror, a, a lot of what makes it fall into that genre is that it takes something to be fearful of and makes an exaggeration of it. Yeah. So like with Jaws, it's a horror movie because it's like it's a scary shark movie where sharks can be scary to begin with, but then they exaggerate it by making it this big behemoth of a th mm. thing that kills anything that it can get its teeth on. Um, so with this, it's an exaggeration of <laughs> fears of like losing control of your art, um, fear of the fears of like losing yourself mm -hmm. and stuff. I mean, there's a lot of different fears that it covers in this, and it just creates an exact. I mean, this one is like really an exaggeration. Yeah, but but to a good effect though, right? Because yeah, like imagine this, right? So some guy sends you to jail, right? As a crack fiend, he's broken you down to the point where you're posing as a person who might fuck him in an orgy, right? You get thrown out, and he—that's the thing that kept that I I realized on this rewatching is how many times he says, "I'm Winslow Leach, the composer." And no one acknowledges him as who he wants to be, right? They're just like, no, yeah. you're this fucking guy. Throw him out. Uh, now he's a crack fiend. He goes to jail, and they're just like, yeah, you're in this experimental program. I'll, I'll rip your fucking teeth out and whatever. And he does that thing where he's like, I'm I'm innocent. And it's like that old adage, right? Like, everyone in jail is innocent. Yeah. And he, there's a look of horror on his face where he's finally like, oh, fuck. Like, I'm done. Yeah. Like, they fucking caught me. And then he goes berserk when he hears, like, the Juicy Fruits doing his song. But... Just imagine the world that they've just set up, right? This guy was sent to jail and his teeth ripped out. And then he's trying to destroy the product and he gets the product that he hates, right? The Juicy Fruits doing Faust pressed into his face. He yes. loses his voice. How is that not scary? You know, yeah. like that's a horrifying idea. Because again, I think the truth of this film that they keep coming back to is as we watch it and we're like, oh my God, imagine if my work, if that happened. Mm -hmm. And I think this movie's trying to tell us like, Hey man, this is how all art is. Yeah. Like you lose a lot anytime something you have gets made. Like look at the credits on a movie. All of those people have some kind of artistic input in how your product comes out. Yeah. Right? It's not just you at a piano anymore. You're not the fucking Billy Joel piano man. Right? You're just the start of this thing that ends way the fuck over there. And I think I think that's such a a truism that most of us don't acknowledge that it forces you to sit and be uncomfortable and sad and upset and ask hard questions. Mm -hmm. And if you think about it too, it shows that with all three of the main characters, Swan, um, Phoenix and Leech, they all become monsters for the music. Mm -hmm. Like Swan makes steel the devil and he like literally becomes a monster. Yeah. <laughs> Leech, be trying to get his art seen and trying to destroy anyone who gets in his way becomes a monster. And Phoenix, like obviously physically she doesn't become a monster, but inside she goes from being this like, like artist to mm -hmm. someone who's willing to do whatever it takes just for the fame. Yeah. So they all become different versions of monsters in this and that. I mean, yeah, well, isn't the base of horror monster? No, for sure. Well, they all become a different version in a way, right? It's it's the mind, mm -hmm. head, and the heart because or the body, right? Because I would argue Phoenix does become somewhat of like a mummy, right? So we see her just do this dominant, intimate, personal performance, juxtaposed next to Beef's big, explosive, in your face, you know, humpy performance. Mm -hmm. 
And the next thing we see of her is she's on stage and she's just in this drug addled state. And that scene is weird because that last scene, the wedding scene just starts with what feels like five minutes of women in like crow bikinis dancing. And there's a lot of like that Bruce Springsteen at the Super Bowl where he slid his crotch into the camera. Just like the camera's really close to like feather bikinis. And then just Mm -hmm. like two feet away, we'll see Phoenix just kind of like swaying side to side in her own little world. Yeah, that's horrifying. That's absolutely a horrifying moment, right? that whole last scene is horrifying too. Cause like when, um, when like everyone dies mm-hmm. and all the people are on stage, like just trying to get pieces of them and yeah. stuff and, and like not even like it's some of them seem to know that what's happening is real, but then half of them think that it's just part of the performance. Yeah. And it's just like, that's absolutely horrifying too. Right. Like that's, <laughs> That's like, I, I'm sure I've seen it in other movies too, but of course now I'm not going to be able to think of any of them, but where you see something horrifying happen on TV or whatever, and you you're, you can't tell if it's actually happening or not. Yeah. yeah. And it's the fact that pe- there are people that, whether it was an act or not, that would go on stage and just try to take a piece of it mm-hmm. just to be like, I was there and this came from this person. That's, disturbing yeah well i know it's not a beloved film but this month we covered halloween resurrection <laughs> with buster rhymes running I, dangertainment i love that movie because i thought it was the one i'm like this movie made michael myers pretty fucking scary and it made him into like a clint eastwood walt kowalski like get out of my house young kids thing right like they were coming to take his horror movie genre away from i thought it was wildly fun right but imagine that movie right there's a bunch of teenagers that stop a high school party right And if we know the rules of like a high school party movie, you're just there to try to get laid. That's what every high school kid's trying to do. And they're like, oh, we should stop and watch this thing that we think is fake just because we're seeing Mm -hmm. people die. Oh, that looks pretty real, but it can't be real. But you're fucking watching it. A part of you is attracted to it because it seems real. Right. That becomes because, yeah, like Winslow's death crawl. He's crawling and there's just like some guy who's like an art major. Who's like mimicking his crawl, right? Like it's an acting exercise. Yeah, it's so fucking disturbing yeah. and bizarre. Swan dies with a melted face, right? Like this actual evidence that there is a satanic bond or whatever. And he's literally carted off in a Jesus crucifix pose by cheering adoring fans. Yeah. Right? They hadn't seen his face. And when they see that it's a melted face underneath, right? Like he's exposed to the world. We still see him as, oh, he's a cool artist. That's a cool thing. Instead of mm-hmm. recognizing the horror of what this has done to this man. And so, yeah, that scene is wild. Well, just imagine we saw not long before that beef is carted out to the ambulance to go to the morgue. Yeah. He's dead. And that fucking crowd will makes it hard for him to get to the ambulance. Cause beef, 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 beef. And Jessica Harper's character sees that. Yeah. And a part of her is like worth it. And that's fucking yeah, that's- crazy. And the fact that, like, once she gets going, everyone automatically is like, be who? Yeah. Like, he's he's forgotten instantly. Yeah. Oh. That scene with Beef is crazy. Because that also is when Winslow tells her, uh, don't come back or I'll destroy you too. Mm-hmm. So this is Winslow's most monstrous moment to me because he settled on, he's not allowed to be a part, but if Phoenix can do it, a real artist will still be involved. And he specifically tells her after seeing her, he murders the spotlight guy so that he can put her in the spotlight, (laughs) right? 
He watches her dominate and seemingly is weeping with joy seeing his music perform properly. He kidnaps her to the roof and he's like, I'll kill you too. Like, what the fuck is that? He's a... He's a very damaged man. Inside and out. (laughs) I feel like... I almost feel like he got... In that moment, he finally got what he wanted, and he just wanted that to be it. Yeah. Like, he wanted it to be over. Yeah. And it's strange, too, because it made me think that maybe this was Swan's plan all along, right? Because there's that scene when he catches Swan at the start, and, you know, he's like, I'll kill you or whatever. And Swan's like, that's not going to help your music get out. Uh, You have no choice, right? You have no voice. You're hideous to look at. I think when Winslow's locked in that little musical aquarium... I think that's the happiest he is in the movie. Yeah. Right? Because he's doing something and Swan, this mega producer, has to come into him and he gets to sit there and say, I don't trust you. You're not really into this like me. And Swan's just like, here, take these drugs. You've got seven days. I think that is this stroke to his ego that he always wanted, right? Mm -hmm. So in a way, it feels like he's a prisoner. We see him get bricked into the wall and he has to break out and this and that. I think that's the only time in the movie he seems happy. Yeah. Weirdly enough, right? And that, again, that's another horrifying thought. Yeah, because he's finally getting to focus on his work and he know that he knows that his work is going to be recognized and he's being told he's not necessarily going to get everything he wants, but he's being told that he's finally going to get everything he wants. So, I mean, kind of like what happened to Phoenix. Mm. He's like, he's like, this is worth like the it's worth the price of admission <laughs> yeah right i mean he he finishes the cantata from the guy who already yeah. stole his fucking cantata yeah. like what he's already blown wild. up the beach boy car during rehearsals right <laughs> and killed beef but he still just keeps working for this guy mm-hmm. right so there is this this very i mean i feel like most people would be ecstatic right like i don't know let's say your profession is like you're a film director And Spielberg stole your shit, but he's locked you in, like, this room with everything you want. Like, you get to write, I don't know, fucking Jurassic Park 8, right? (laughs) And you get to do it. He's like, I'll do it exactly how you want, blah, blah. And as far as you know, that's happening. Because that's good Mm -hmm. for business rather than you murdering Beach Boys, right? I think some of us would be secretly stoked because we felt like we had power over him. The very scene where Winslow makes him sign, or Winslow has to sign the contract, right? He keeps asking, what is this? Like, a part of his mind is telling him, don't sign this fucking contract, right? You know this is wrong. It has clearly stupid language. Everything is telling you no. But when you're plugged into that keyboard, you get a sound how better than you sounded before, right? And you have this ultra-powerful star maker coming in and seemingly doing your bidding, right? So he signed that contract before his fucking finger was stabbed. And it's a really... I think that's the thing that's weird about this movie, right? Because I would say the difference between this and something like Rocky Horror, which my friends thought are very similar, I don't really think there's a true emotion in Rocky Horror, right? Yeah. Rocky Horror is a vibe. It's fun. It's a game. We're all in on it. These are really dark scenes, right? Winslow signing that contract after going to jail and having his teeth ripped off and murdered and framed for crack and not being able to speak all that, committing murders, he still fucking signs the deal. He still fucking signs the deal and it's horrifying. And then they even doubled down on it because we find out later 
when he tries to kill himself and he can't die, right? He tries to kill Swan. And when I'll tell you the line that like really kicked me hard in the gut was when Swan says, I'm also under contract. Yeah. That's a fucking insane thing to add. Like even the guy who seems like the shadowy deal maker is also only here at someone else's behest. Mm-hmm. And it's horrifying. I feel like that plays it like, even though obviously it's like the fasting deal with the devil kind of thing. I almost feel like there's an implication that his contract is with the public in a way. Yeah. If that makes sense, like, Mm -hmm. because everything he does and like, and no matter how corrupt everything is, he does it because it's what the people want. He's doing what the people want. Um, And even though that's not necessarily super explicit, because it's obviously supposed to be the devil. uh, I feel like that's strongly hinted throughout, especially because we see how like the characters transform once they get even a little bit of attention from fans or whatever. Mm -hmm. Uh, I feel like that plays into it as well because he sorry my cat just almost jumped over (laughs) (laughs) he like got in a position um (laughs) sorry that totally threw me off um but yeah i i feel like it definitely the the public it's almost like the public is the devil because that the the people and the fans are what ultimately corrupt all of them Mm mm-hmm and like that love and adoration and doing what will be popular is what drives them ultimately all three of the characters so yeah i actually i think you're 100% right the the things that reinforce that for me right and there's two swan moments that really drive it home which is so swan is a guy that by his own admission is already rich already in the swanage it seems like he's in this giant fucking like victorian tub or whatever and he's just like, well, I can't stand to not be a beautiful boy, blah, 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 right? And then when the devil appears, it's not some giant devil, right? Because this feels like the movie where you could have got a giant prosthetic devil yeah. at some point, right? Like, like a- you could have had, like, Tim Curry legend <laughs> devil thing. <laughs> right? You could have had that big monologuing devil. But it's just him reflected in a mirror, mm-hmm. right? And he just says, I go by many names, right? That's that's the uh, We Are Legion thing, right? Yeah. And so he's just really making a deal with himself to sell his own soul, right? Because I think yeah. Swan even says, he's like, ah, what's a soul, right? So we never see a true devil, right? We might hear an altered voice here and there, but we never see it. And the other moment with Swan is when he's in the limo, right? As they're chanting for beef and they've cheered for her. One of his guys is dead, right? Winslow's fighting back. He's not upset at all. He goes, "That have you ever seen anything like that in your life? And he just says, those are people who were truly entertained. Mm-hmm. So like all the fame, right? They even joke like he has so many gold records. He tries to put them in Fort Knox. Not the same as watching these people feverish, like a zombie horde, ecstatic to cheer on this man who just died on stage, right? Just a guy who wanted to go back and see his mom in Cincinnati, <laughs> right? He just wanted to quit so bad, but he just did it because, you know, that's what he does. And that's what he was paid for. And he's like, fuck it, I'll do it. Yeah. And that's what gets Swan off, right? Is that these people were truly entertained to the point where he's like, well, next time we'll do an assassination marriage on TV, right? So Swan even has found something to now get titillated about. Yeah. You know, and it, it is this, it's, we're dealing with that, right? The paradise itself becomes the devil. Yeah. And 
This is something I've always wondered because we know Swan, like in in the film, Swan doesn't sing at all. Mm-hmm. But when um when he hooks the machine up to to leech when he's the phantom so that he can sing mm-hmm. we know that that's paul williams voice yep and i always wondered oh, if point. that like if there was an implication there as well um I, like i'm trying to formulate it in my head on what it could mean like if it was just because like they wanted paul williams to sing but his character didn't sing and if that's the only <laughs> reason they did it um or if it was like kind of like how he saw himself in the mirror and said, like may- mm-hmm. maybe it's the devil's voice kind of thing i don't know well i mean i think i think narratively there's a really good case for that right because we see him turn like 50 knobs he's like Dolby's filters right he's like twisting all the knobs do we think it's a coincidence that the perfect voice he lands on sounds exactly like him yeah Right, the man who's Which, in the shadows. Which I mean, voice and, is fucking phenomenal. <laughs> yeah, and it's weird because people see Swan, but the movie's telling us over and over, and he can't be seen by the public, right? Like you can't take his photo. People yeah. have seen him, but you can't take his photo when he's on the magazine cover. He's like a question mark head. Mm-hmm. So they're telling us over and over again that he cannot partake in a way that he want, wishes with this, yeah. right? So, so adding himself as the voice makes yeah. perfect sense, right? Because the one thing we know about any of these stories right folk tale or movie or whatever a deal with the devil never is exactly what you want yeah right there has to be a bit of hell right there's that great twilight zone episode where it's about a a down on his luck gambler right he's gambling he's gambling something happens he wakes up and he's in this luxury suite right and he thinks he's died and gone to heaven so the first night he goes down and he's gambling and he wins every single hand right no matter how bad the hand is how bad the dice are he wins and this keeps happening for weeks and weeks. Every girl wants to sleep with him. And finally, he's like, this fucking sucks, right? There's no thrill in it if you win every time, right? Yeah. So, like, he doesn't have that gambling thrill anymore. So he calls up the, like, Mater D. Or, I don't, Mater D, that's a restaurant. I don't know. Whoever the fucking, like, <laughs> manager is of a motel, right? And the guy comes up, and he's like, hey, what the fuck? I thought this was heaven. Like, I'm not having fun anymore. And he's like, oh, this isn't heaven. Right. And so that's his hell is that he gets to live the life that he always secretly wanted. Right. He gets to win every hand. Mm -hmm. And because he's not a loser anymore, he can't enjoy it. Yeah. Right. And so there is a bit of this in this movie, too, where Swan, he gets to be the most famous guy ever. Everything he touches turns to gold. But he's still in that shadowy fucking box. And yes, all these women want to sleep with him and this and that. But it's just not enough. And every day he has to go into his own little torture chamber, very similar to Winslow's, and just watch the tape of himself making the deal over and over and over again. Well, and that's like, because it wasn't his thing was that he, not just that he wanted to be rich and powerful and stuff, but that he wanted to stay young forever. He wanted to stay and young. And what is him. the point of staying young forever and looking good forever if no one can see you? Yeah. And it's, I mean, that's kind of like with Winslow too. Like, yes, you're going to make this music and it is going to be great, but no one will fucking know who you are. Yeah. And it's not going to be what you want it to be. Well, imagine that too, because there's even the scene when they introduce Beef, like he's from Transylvania and they do the coffin and that amazing face he makes, right? One of the best <laughs> gifts ever. Um, In that moment, that was something I had forgotten in the film is that uh, uh, Swan 
actually says we're doing Faust and he changes his stories like this was written by the late Winslow Leach. Mm -hmm. So he co-opted Winslow's story somewhat by proxy. If you think it out, right, he somewhat redeems the guy, right? Like now he was just this troubled super genius. And that's still something that Winslow can't take joy over. Yeah. Now his name is on the fucking music and he still fucking hates it. Yeah. Cause he, cause it's beef singing it. It can't be beef. I know, right? <laughs> Which I have to say, I feel like aside from the fact that it's a musical, I feel like beef specifically is probably a, why a lot of people associate it with Rocky Horror. Because yeah. his vibe is very Doctor Frankenfurter. Well, that scene is literally, I think on the soundtrack, it's called the birth of beef or whatever, or the birth of whatever, right? Is it? Yeah, because the undead starts saying, or the construction of beef, I think is what it might be called. Construction of man, something like that. So it starts off in the the world's most popular band is now backup vocalist. They're hacking up the audience, right? And they think, oh, that's fucking funny. They're like dismembering audience members. And they have this like Frankenstein's castle vibe. And then beef is lowered down and he steps out. You know, uh, and I think the the song lyric is something like, you know, I'm all of the worst men inside of you, like, unleashed, right? Oh, yeah, yeah, And it's, it's a fucking awesome moment. And so, yes, that has, like, a horror aesthetic musical. Mm-hmm. But that scene has nothing in common with, like, these aren't aliens here, you know, doing whatever the fuck they're doing in Rocky Horror, right? This is just a stage performer putting on. And, again, I love the fact Garrett Graham is definitely the MVP of this movie. Mm-hmm. Because Beef is so fucking funny because the moment you see him, right, they go through this line of amazing singers, right? Yeah. Even the country guy, and I hate country music. The country guys <laughs> is probably the best version of the song, right? And Swan even says, lovely, but no, right? And they pan yeah. over. And then Beef's just like, and they're like, yes, that's it. That's something. We don't know what it is, but it's something. It's different. It's weird. Yeah. And we see him suck in rehearsal. He falls down. He can't stand up on his platforms. And they do this fun thing where he's just like this really, really in tune with himself, like uppity fucking theater guy, right? He's, yeah. I mean, he's yeah. just, <laughs> just like, like very s- different than the persona he gives out. Yeah, he's not beef, right? He's just this guy who's like, hey, man, I work on stage. I'm a performer. I'm here, you know, sober up tubby when he tells that guy, right? When he's like, no one listens to the lyrics. No one cares what it's about. And you see even beef is taken aback by that. He's like, how dare you? Yeah. Like, I'm not just here because I'm beef. Like, this matters to me, right? So we see, like, small bits of artistic integrity from beef even. <laughs> it's such a funny, unexpected performance from that character. Yeah. There's so many good songs on this soundtrack, too. Really good. Like, this was, a, this was a film that as soon as it was over, I went on eBay and tracked down a copy of the vinyl. <laughs> I was like, I fucking need this. I need to listen to it. Um, and it's awesome on vinyl also. Yes, <laughs> for sure. I'm, I'm actually, I'm looking at the track list right now. And I'm like, I can't decide what my favorite song is. Yeah, it's it's because I grew up like a metalhead. And I was like, if I had been there when they did the the Undead and the Beef song, that would have melted my brain. Like, that's yeah. the song in the movie where I'm like, God, I wish I was in that fucking crowd. Like, I yeah. would have loved that shit. That would have been awesome. I would hope I'm not cheering for the murder, but. <laughs> <laughs> well, I feel like, you know, the, uh, uh, not mass hysteria, but like that being in a crowd like that and the crowd hype, it's really hard not to get caught up in that. <laughs> well, also, you'd hope they assumed that it was a stage effect because he was killed yeah. by a neon lightning bolt. 
Yeah. You know and what I, I mean? Think they, they cheer his name like after the fact too, right? Oh yeah. As they're loading like, him into the ambulance. Yeah. Beep, so they probably beep, thought it was beep. an act. Yeah. It's wow, because we've also know. already seen Phoenix do her song, and they're still out there chanting for beef. Yeah. That's how Hardy fucking rocked him. The yeah. question you're left with is, would beef have been okay with that? How many of us would choose that to go out in the biggest moment of your life knowing that you would be cheered like that? That's another <laughs> one of those like stealth whore moments. Is it like, weird that this just made me think of an episode of Doctor Who? <laughs> No, I always think of episodes of Doctor Who. <laughs> it, it, it made me think of the Van Gogh episode. Oh, God. Yeah, that one like, kills me. When they brought him back and he got to hear Bill Nye as the, um, the art museum director, whatever he was, talking about how like Van Gogh's work and how he thinks he's the greatest artist of all time and stuff like that. And it's I that made him happy. Like, he, he still... Yeah, he was that, moved to tears. Actually, I almost, yeah. I'm going to tear up if we talk about that. Yeah, it's funny because like, I love Doctor Who, right? But I'd never yeah. seen it. And like, if you do enough, like I used to do a comic book podcast and this and that, it's always around. Yeah. It's a massive fandom online. Oh. Everyone's like, you got to watch this. I'm like, ah, fuck that show. Like, it's from the 50s. Like, I'm not into it. Like, everyone's always telling me to watch sci-fi shows that aren't good, right? <laughs> and so one day I was just insanely hungover, right? I think I fell asleep watching Silence of the Lambs on BBC America, right? So I woke up hungover as shit, like couldn't move. I thought I was going to die. And my TV was still on BBC America from the night before. And I was like, fuck, I don't want to get up and get the remote. I was like, I'll just watch whatever this is. And the very first Doctor Who episode I ever saw was Vincent and the Doctor. Mm. And I watched it. And by the end of it, I'm just like hungover. I'm like, I can't keep crying. I already don't have enough hydration <laughs> in my body. And I'm just weeping. And I'm like, that is it's one of the best episodes of TV I've ever seen in my yeah. life. It's and amazing. I've like been a huge Whovian ever since, right? But that one is awesome too because it gets back to this core idea, right? Mm -hmm. So he goes to the future and sees that he becomes a giant, right? And I think Bill Nye even says like not only was he one of the greatest painters, but one of the greatest men who ever yeah. lived, right? Yeah. Which clearly he wasn't. We we know about this and that before, right? Like his art was one thing, but he had a troubled life, whatever, right? Mm -hmm. And then when we find out, watching Amy realize that he still went back. And they weren't there. And he even said, he's like, if you guys leave, this is going to be hard on me. And even knowing what he becomes, it still wasn't worth it for him. Yeah. He still couldn't take any fucking joy and defeat his battle, right? Which, you know, I think is another thing a lot of people relate to. And it's just such an honest moment in TV, right? Because the way that show should have ended is like, oh, Vincent Van Gogh went off to, or they call him Van Gogh, right? Van Gogh. He yeah. goes off and now he lives on like Zartan 3 and he's the greatest yeah. artist on like another planet, right? Because they have better colors, yeah. right? Like he lives on a planet that looks like how he painted, right? But it's just a really honest moment in TV. And like that's that is a very good compromise to beef because yeah. he was just this fucking stage dog, right? Like going from place to place. Like I'm a pro. I do this all the time. Would he have been stoked if that was the way he went out? Yeah. Like, how like would he have he, felt? If he was able to go back and see how people went crazy over mm -hmm. his performance and stuff, like, would he be like, okay, I'm I'm fine with that then. I lived the life that I wanted, and yeah. I'm, I'm recognized for the work that I did, so that's good enough for me. Yeah. Well, that's so. the thing, too, is, like, I think a lot of us have those fantasies, like, I used to say that to myself all the time, like, I just need to win one Oscar. Like, I'll win one Oscar and I'll be cool. Like, then I'll go back to making art house stuff. Like, you know, because I'm, I'm a real artist. 
You used to tell yourself <laughs> that shit in like film school. Yeah. And there is a part of it you never think about. Like imagine reaching the pinnacle and then your career just goes south after that. And you're not doing that anymore. And you're not like this respected artistic. You're like the guy who did it. You got lucky once. And now you're making like Sharknado 8. And you're like, what the fuck happened? <laughs> you know, you're still doing it. Yeah. You're still making money. But, you know, that has to weigh on you, too. And I think this movie asked a lot. This really felt like because I was watching that Brian De Palma documentary. Mm. And he talks about this movie because it is so strange for him. But he was talking about. Like one of his big things is he's like the gatekeeperness of it, right? And how fickle and fast people just choose what we want and we just kind of lap it up. Yep. Yeah, it's, I mean, and we see that all the time. For it's, sure. Like I was, like we were talking earlier about how like I, I unfortunately during quarantine, my life has become consumed by TikTok. And it's like, <laughs> who the fuck decided that TikTok was going to be as big as it is? And now it's like, I, I hate that I love it so <laughs> It's But that's what I mean. It's actually, it's funny because I was thinking about this when we've been doing all these pods this month. And I was like, I feel like this movie, Phantom of the Paradise and Candyman are like the perfect movies to remake right now. Yes. Because you could make a Phantom of the Paradise where it's just this fucking melting artist kind of murdering people that are doing like TikTok challenges of his songs. Right? Yes. Oh my like, God. He becomes the most famous and he has the most clout, right? He's like that dude on the skateboard with cranberry juice but he's mad seeing other people doing it and getting more likes than he does mm -hmm. it's it's shock that's what i think's really cool about this movie because in a way it feels very dated because you just watch it and you're like this is like from like a gonzo time in hollywood but it it still works today because i think all of us still have the and not even in creative fields in any field right i mean that's like a classic trope of every sitcom show bar show is like i'm doing all the work and not getting any credit yeah. Right. None of us feel valued enough in our lives. Right. There's so much noise that we all just feel like we're screaming into the void silently. Yeah. And I was like, you I could mean, make a really interesting. Not that I'm like out here lobbying for them to remake Phantom of the Paradise. Yeah. They're already remaking Candyman. And I'm assuming that the spread of Candyman stuff like on like Slenderman, like Slenderman is just a version of Candyman. Right. Same yeah. kind of story, like call his name and he'll come and evil deeds happen, whatever. So the way Candyman could filter through like Reddit, right? Like that yeah. might come up in the movie. Who knows? It makes him more powerful than ever. Well, and that's like, um, that makes me think of the sinister films, mm -hmm. how it shows like it, even though I did not like the sequel, the first one's fantastic. Didn't love the sequel, but they <laughs> show from like the first film to the sequel, how like this curse or whatever you want to call it has evolved with new technology and stuff like it started with the super eight or whatever those film things were those super eight. I don't, I don't fucking know. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> what am I a pioneer? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but then like it, it transitions to what is it in the second one? It's like radio or something. Yeah. So it shows like well, also Ethan Hawke is uploading it to the internet for other yeah. experts to see. So like that shit's everywhere now. Yeah. It's, it's, so yeah, th this is definitely a film that if they wanted to do some concept similar to it, mm -hmm. I mean, and it's, it doesn't even have to be something big like music or film as the, like even everyone has been in a fucking office job where you work your ass off and then your boss takes credit for your, what you did. Yeah, Like I can think of multiple times that has happened 
in my life. And I mean, you want to punch your boss in the face, but you can't. <laughs> or throw a neon lightning bolt at him, but exactly. that's just like, not cool, I, apparently. If I could throw a neon lightning bolt at them and get away with it, I probably would have. <laughs> Let's be honest. Yeah, for sure. I, I think that is what I, because again, just as like a piece of art on its own form, it has such a, a unique voice and an interesting style. And it's this perfect mix of not enormous stars at the time, right? Like I said, William Finley was just a guy that De Palma knew. He made kind of a weird fant- Phantom of the Paradise short film in college where he was essentially like a guy backstage in a stage show, like wearing the weird costumes, which is a, what he said is what he like thought of him immediately for this movie. Because mm-hmm. he was good at that. He has this look. And Jessica Harper's just being introduced. Again, Paul Williams was just like a fucking composer, songwriter, whatever. And Garrett Graham was like, a, you know, he's become like a, a cult horror movie darling. Yeah. But it's this perfect thing where there's no overpowering star that takes over. It just becomes this fucking really weird cauldron where all of these really weird, strange, contradictory things meld together to make this fucking awesome and shockingly timeless movie. For sure. It's And it's not only is it an awesome story and great music, but it's just it's it's a work of art yeah it's because it has everything it has has the story it has the music it has the visuals has the performances it's such a weird perfect blend of all these elements and i feel like it might not have turned out the movie that it was if it had been made at a different time with different people because like you said i think it helps that it's all relatively unknown people at the time um and it was just, it was perfect timing. It yeah, was well, the, like, if Tom Cruise played the Phantom of the Paradise, it, it's harder to accept him as, like, a struggling artist. Yeah. Than yeah. William Finley, right? <laughs> Man, I'm picturing that now, and it is weird as shit. Yeah. You're the shortest Phantom I've ever seen. No, <laughs> I mean, obviously. Why is this he, Phantom running so much? <laughs> he should have played Swan. <laughs> oh my god that's amazing he would have been good as swan he would be a perfect swan he's just like praying to xenu like they're all like scientology contracts and shit <laughs> <laughs> i'll channel your thetans let's go <laughs> yeah I, I don't know it's just i feel like now we need to dreamcast who we would put in those roles now yeah because that's it you could do your boy bill skarsgård who i know you love he'd be a great phantom he would be perfect. A perfect phantom, right? Oh my god. I don't know that I have who would be who would be beef. David Harbour would be beef. Right? <laughs> now we just need our Phoenix. Who's our who's our young amazing singer who's going to be Phoenix? You know Journey Smollett. Oh my god, what a great casting. I'm we super were just into talking that. about her, so I fucking love Lovecraft Country so much. Uh, she is one of my new favorite humans on the entire planet. She's amazing, and she has a great voice. I'm just saying, if we, if someone hears that pitch, <laughs> like you guys should credit us a little bit. That is a perfect. Oh God, cast. I'm picturing David Harbour in the beef costumes. <laughs> he would dominate that role. He would absolutely dominate that role. With the lipstick and stuff. Oh my yeah. God, it's perfect. <laughs> Because I, my initial thought was Jack Black, but I'm like, he's too funny. Yeah. Like, he's too immediately funny, right? Yeah. But if you do David Harbour, 
Now yeah, you're on I feel something. like it would have to be someone that you could never imagine in that role, and David Harbour would be. So good. Or like, <laughs> I'm trying to think of someone who's like a super serious actor, but I keep thinking of old dudes. I'm thinking Daniel Day-Lewis. Like, <laughs> yeah, like put him. Oh my God. He, I feel like he would actually kind of kill it though. This might bring him out of retirement. He's like, beef. There's oh, wait, so much I can method at. Can kind of sing. Can David Harbour sing? I don't know if he can sing. Can beef sing that well? <laughs> I I kind of can. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, okay. Like Fair in enough. a rock star kind of way. <laughs> Man, now I'm... My go-to for any funny, weird role is just I say Sam Rockwell. So like Sam Rockwell could do any role. Yeah. Although he would be perfect Sam, in any role. Sam Rockwell is Swan. There you go. I feel He's like so he lovable, be- though. But that's the thing. Swan would be charismatic. He dealt well, with the but devil. he wasn't lovable in Charlie's Angels. <laughs> I suppose that's true. There was very little lovable in Charlie's Angels. <laughs> Maybe like the fact that those three are still great friends. That's like the one great takeaway from that, I guess. <laughs> Yeah. Oh man. I don't know. I think you were onto it though with Tom Cruise. Yeah. I feel like he would be such a good swan. I feel like there's some real like inner life dark shit that he could tap into. They would make this absolutely horrifying. <laughs> man, our 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 dream casting is fucking wild. You know what's funny? We've done this a lot on the show, and I think this is the best one we've ever done by like a mile. So you've got Jesse Smollett, Smollett, Smollett. However you say that. I say Smollett. I don't. Yeah, know Smollett. That's, that's fine. Uh, Bill Skarsgård, yep. David Harbour, and Tom Cruise. Tom Cruise. <laughs> Holy shit. This movie slaps. This movie's great. Uh, now maybe were, you get Jack Black to be Philbin. I was going to say, who were we going to have to be the, the creepy dude who he's tries too, to he's sleep He's too with lovable, her. too. I don't know. Yeah. I feel like we should pick someone who... Who was the overweight sidekick in uh, the Tanya Harding movie? He was also in that Clint Eastwood movie about the Atlanta bomb security guard. He's really good. Oh, and he's I don't really know what funny. He's what? really fucking funny. What if, what if we had Paul Blart? <laughs> <laughs> Kevin James. Perfect. That actually works really well for me. That works <laughs> really well for me. Did Halloween? I can picture him with like that hair. I did world. watch you be Halloween. <laughs> good on Adam Sandler. Just making all that money to do those movies good on i mean it, that movie brought me such joy so i you know it's funny i said that too because i told someone i was like man i feel like i went to film school and i tried to like learn a lot about film and i was watching it and i was like hubie halloween sucks but i so enjoyed watching it and i yeah. laughed so hard so many times that like it's, it, it is it's like one of those things like you know i felt like the phantom watching beef and it's like Sometimes you just got to admit that it's it's good. Yeah. Like, it might not be your, like, like palate or whatever, but sometimes you just got to admit that it's good. It's not what you would have made. Yeah. But that doesn't mean that it's not still the most yeah. fun yeah. experience ever. And also, like, is there a highbrow version of Hubie Halloween to be had? No, man. Like, stop lying to yourself. <laughs> like, just enjoy it. <laughs> the Halloween tree. The Halloween tree. Is that a real movie? It's yeah. I've never it, heard of it. It's a cartoon, that. but it's based on a book by Ray Bradbury. Oh, so that's gonna be dark as shit then. <laughs> but, but it's a kids thing. Yeah. So was uh, something wicked this way comes, and that was a traumatizing book I read when I was a kid. Yeah. I was already well, kind of like, afraid of carnival people, but. And last time I was on, we talked about like Dark Crystal and shit. <laughs> like, 
Dude, Dark Crystal and Labyrinth are horrifying movies. Return to Oz. Really scary, too. That's true. But yeah. You know, for the longest time, I thought Return of Oz and The Wiz were the same movie. <laughs> I just remembered, like, the scariest images of both and melded them together. <laughs> All right. We're just off on a tangent now. That's my fault. Uh, let's wrap this up. So one more chance, Molly, since you chose this movie. One more brief summary love letter to why you still enjoy coming back to Phantom of the Paradise nowadays. Um, well, to be fair, I've only even known of this film's existence for like the past year. That does, see, that's one of those things that doesn't matter either, right? <laughs> but it's I I love the music. I I love the very it's dreamy and very like gritty rock and roll mm. aesthetic at the same time, which I guess kind of falls into glam rock. It has a very glam rock look and feel. Um, it's like it exists in another universe. And I just, I love on top of the music and the performances. I, I love the story being told. It's a, like, we've talked about this entire episode. It's a classic story that I feel like everyone can relate to at least one of the characters um, and m makes us think about if we were faced with similar issues, how we would handle it. Yeah. Um, if we saw ourselves in that fucking mirror, what would we do? Yeah. Like, I already know my it? answer. I would, I would do the deal with the devil. I'm not, I'm not above saying like, I would fucking sell out immediately. Yeah. <laughs> I like some people would take the high ground, but come on. I just don't lie to myself like that. I think it would depend on what the deal was for me. But I, I probably yeah, that's true. I'm gonna need a little more than eternal youth. I'm gonna need something a little more than that. I don't know if I can go back to being like my 22 year old self. Not definitely not now. I wouldn't want to be frozen like this forever. Can we make a deal where I can eat everything and have it all be zero calories? That would be great. That's a good fucking deal, right? I always said that too. Like, what if I could just like have my taste buds removed? So I could just eat like healthy food and not have to worry about taste that anymore. That would be amazing. Like I could just like right i hate celery i fucking hate it so much yeah. but if i could just eat that nonstop, yeah because that that's like one of those foods that burns calories and yeah. i wish i liked it but it tastes like shit well so i'm like it's not fair like mcdonald's and all these taco bell like they have scientific yeah. chemicals that make it taste better than every other food yep. it's not fair to us that's there. a deal with the devil already taco <laughs> bell did it to me i want to fight back yeah i think that's the thing i like about this movie that i realized watching it today in preparation is this is one of my favorite subgenres of horror because I think it's one of the scariest things, which is wish fulfillment horror, right? Yeah. What if you got everything you wanted, right? So we see this man who's trying to put his name up there with the Juicy Fruits, the most popular band in the world, who ends up not the way he wants, but he ends up with a studio in Swanage with the world's biggest producer getting his shit out, right? So mm -hmm. even Winslow, when he's slamming that Philbin up against the wall and he's Max, it's the Juicy Fruits, he still wants Swan to put his shit out so in a way he shockingly gets everything he wants when he sees beth on the or phoenix on the stairs beth phoenix that's a wrestler see my kids have got my brain melted <laughs> i was gonna say where is that name <laughs> yeah it's it's a pro wrestler lady that my my kids watch wrestling a lot now but so he sees phoenix and he does a duet with her right so now she's a part of his fantasy so in a weird way he gets everything he wants and on that roof after he murdered a guy he threatens to kill phoenix also and he burns the whole fucking thing down man including his art. 
And I think that's cool. Like, I'm obsessed with Wishmaster. I like any horror movie that is make a wish, you know, try to find the easy way, the way to cheat around, like all the obstacles in time that we all hate. And watch how it doesn't work out. Watch your fucking wildest fantasy become a hellscape for you. I love mm-hmm. every movie that does that well. And this is probably one of the best, honestly. Yeah, for sure. It's so good. All right, guys, that's it for Phantom of the Paradise. The show's down. No more encores. We've been murdered by neon lightning bolts. Uh, Molly, thank you so much for making the time and choosing this awesome movie. Thanks for having me. Of course. Would you like to tell people where they can find the many, many, many projects that you're working on right now? Well, <laughs> I'm not going to list everything. I'll put, uh, I'll, pro- try, I'll put everything you want in the show description, too, just so you guys know. <laughs> The easiest would probably be to find me on Twitter at blogging Banshee and Instagram at blogging dot Banshee. Very classy. Yes. (laughs) Yes. So she, she writes a lot. She writes awesome articles, including uterus whore. Yes. You're part of the devil kettles drama club, which is you guys doing live script reads uh, that you can find on YouTube and Twitch, right? Um, I don't know if it's on Twitch. It is on YouTube though. I have yeah. I have a pinned tweet on my Twitter that has Yeah, so link. find the Twitter at blogging banshee. Molly does so much awesome stuff, and I'm sure there'll be more coming in the future. And hopefully you'll come and join us again. Of course. <laughs> Alright, guys, that's it. Uh still more horror movies to come because we're crazy people and we did an episode every single day this fucking month. Uh, but it's awesome. So we'll see you tomorrow for another horror movie adventure. Bye. <laughs> <laughs>